0: You guys, good, good, good. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. Um, today we're starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be going through the minor prophets. Uh, today, actually, we're going to be looking at the the prophet Hosea. So, uh, if you go in your Bible, you find some larger books there: Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. You keep going. Hosea will be the first book uh, that you come to uh, that is one of the minor prophets, and so. Uh, We're going to be looking at this today. I want to give you a little bit of uh, a background on who these prophets are as a whole and uh, kind of a synopsis of uh, who Hosea is um, as we read about him and read the things that he wrote. So these minor prophets come from all different types of backgrounds and they wrote these uh, brief messages to Israel, to God's people Um, A lot of this took place after the kingdom was divided. So you had Israel as a whole after the death of Solomon, the the kingdom becomes divided. You had Judah to the south, Israel to the north. Um, And so you start to see that people begin to neglect God. They kind of begin to become, they begin to become correct. They begin to walk away from faith. Um, It starts in their heart, but then we know what's in our heart ends up coming out in how we live our behavior. And so God sends these prophets, and they're called minor prophets, not because they're less important, but because the books they wrote were shorter. And so God sends these prophets to call people back to himself, um, to challenge, encourage them, to return to the Lord. Because God's purpose was that Israel, his people, would bring forth the Messiah, literally be the, the hope of the world, that through them, the Messiah Jesus The one who would come to restore and save and heal um, and reconcile the world to God would come through them. And so these are some of the people we're looking at. They had these distinct messages, as you're going to see as we go through these different prophets. But the the reality is they're they're all calling people away from corruption and to restoration. Um, Ultimately, though, this is the big thing then in every prophet we look at, you're going to see that they point us to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. I told you last week, uh, to me, the minor prophets are kind of like those flyover states. You hear that in the United States, right, where people go from east coast to west coast, um, flying to the, the, the bigger, larger cities or whatever a lot of times, and we kind of fly over a lot of those middle states. Um, the minor prophets are kind of like that. We, we tend to fly over those from Old Testament to New Testament, but there's a lot of really, really powerful, strong things in here. As we look at Hosea specifically, um, the Northern Kingdom of Israel really quickly uh, fell uh, from faith in God and they became really unrepentant. They were idolatrous. They, uh, there was just rampant corruption taking place in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, during Hosea's time, Israel was uh, going through a time of, of uh, prosperity and things looked good, but the prosperity was not a sign of God's blessing or the people's um, love for God or anything like that. And Hosea begins to come and warn them. He, he tells them, look, things are not going to last this way because of your disobedience, because of all of this, look, there's judgment coming and the Assyrians will eventually come in and, and begin to destroy and ravage them. Um, and so we see that Hosea comes to warn them of this impending judgment on the nation for their sin. And and God is going to use the Assyrians to cause this and do this so that they'll repent and come back to him. Um, it's really interesting and I'm going to Read this and then we'll pray and get into, or talk about this and then we'll pray and get into it. The first three verses of Hosea are probably the, or chapters of Hosea are probably the three chapters that are talked about the most when people are are preaching out of this book. And with good reason, because it's an amazing, crazy story of redemption where God tells Hosea to basically go marry an adulterous woman. He marries her. They begin to have children, but she continues to commit adultery, even giving herself into prostitution. Um, Her name is Gomer. Uh, Hosea, though, is instructed by God to keep going after. And you see this relentless pursuit of Hosea going after Gomer. And he literally has to go by her out of prostitution. You can go back and read those first three chapters. It's, it's really fascinating. It's such a perfect picture of God's relentless pursuit of us. Today, we're going to take this message. Uh, what the Lord really was showing me was out of Hosea chapter 4. Um, I'll tell you this. Hosea pulls no punches. Um, he gets straight to the point. It, it was challenging, as has been challenging for me to, to read this and study this this week. It's convicted my heart. It's challenged me in my own leadership, uh, in my home, my own self-leadership, and my relationship with God, and I pray that it'll do the same for you, that we would leave here challenged but yet encouraged as we see God's grace working through all of this. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for your word, its truth. I thank you for its power. Lord, I pray right now that we would be able to have a singular focus. God, to hear what you're saying. Lord, I pray that God, those who are far from you would turn to you and come to you. That those who've wandered would come home. Lord, I pray for those who are pursuing you, walking with you, that we would stand firm in your truth, and not be led away to follow anything else, Lord, to not look to anything else for our sustenance, our life, our comfort, our healing, Lord, but that we would lean into and trust in you in all that we do. We love you, Lord. Thank you this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So. The last two Saturdays, we've had some interesting events at my house. Um, We uh, have some land around our house where we hunt. And um, so one of my boys had taken a truck and had gone to put out some corn or something. And uh, he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm stuck. And so I'm like, okay, well, so I go back there. I take our old hunting truck to go try to pull him out. Well, I get the hunting truck in there and I start trying to pull him out and guess what happened? It got stuck. So we went and got another truck to come and pull that truck out and guess what happened? It got stuck. Every truck we had was stuck. And so we had to call a buddy of ours um, who comes. He's got this huge John Deere tractor. makes me kind of envious. I covet it a little bit. Um, And he comes, and he just kind of like pulls us out. It left these huge ruts, like probably never go down that road again. And so um, then yesterday, one of my sons is cutting some roads back there, kind of cleaning up. And I get a call. I'm spreading pine straw, you know, in the yard. So I was on the doorstep of hell. And I'm spreading pine straw, and I get this call. Hey, Dad, can you bring a truck I'm stuck on the tractor. I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll be there. I said, where are you stuck? He said, on the road. I'm like, well, this won't be a big deal, right? So I get back there. It, 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 it's not just the like. It looked like a marsh. It looked like you'd driven off into the coastal marshes. And so I get there. I, I, I pulled down there with the old hunting truck. And guess what happened? I got stuck. So I called Susan. I said, hey, bring his truck. He come, that she comes, we pull it in there. Guess what happened? It got stuck. And I'm not frustrated at all at this point, right? Because I am a sanctified follower of Jesus Christ. And I didn't slam doors. I didn't, I didn't You know, have bad thoughts, nothing like that. Um, and so guess who we call? My buddy with the big tractor that I... Some, somewhat covet right and so he comes down and he starts pulling us out and we get out again and he said you know he said when I was growing up they had a they had a name for people that do this kind of thing two times and I said really what's that he said slow learners <laughs> I was like yep yeah, yeah I, 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 I that's that's probably true or, or maybe for me it's just stubborn right Um, and here's the thing that, that I say that for, if you've ever been stuck, you know what it is to be in like a deep rut. Uh, Yesterday, one of our trucks was in such a rut on both sides that it was literally what they say bottomed out, right? There was, the tires weren't even really touching the ground anymore. It's just sitting on the the ground, just stuck. And, And these ruts were so deep. I mean, we couldn't go even four wheel drive. They're just spinning. And here's what I've sensed in my heart the last couple of weeks is that many people today are in a rut, that many people today are in a rut, uh, not just people in this room, but, um, and I want to really speak to the cameras today somewhat because I hope that a lot of people who aren't here can hear this message, but a lot of people who aren't here are in a rut. We've gotten stuck in a rut. We've we've, we've adapted to different things and our life and our culture in different ways. And in many ways, we've gotten stuck in a rut and this is not really good ruts, right? These are places where we are stuck and we need to get out of this. And here's the thing I hope for today is that today is probably not going to be the most pleasant message. It will be filled with hope and grace, but listen, we need to get out of this rut right? We need to get out of this rut. It's time to get out of the rut. It's time to get out and begin to move on. It's time to return home. One of the things the Lord put on my heart as we were worshiping is return and stand firm, return and stand firm. There are many people who need to return. And then when we return, when we come back, when we repent, when we have a change of mind and come home, listen, we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm and not be moved by the things around us. And it's not easy, but it's possible in God. It's one of those things where people will tell you, like you hear those cliches in Christianity, um, God won't give you more than you can handle. And they'll say, you know the Bible says? Well, the Bible never says that. The Bible never says that. The truth is God will never give you more than he can't handle. But I know this, there's been many times in my life where it was more than I could handle. So we need to lean into God in this. Trust that the Lord will bring an awakening, that he will pull us out of the shroud. I want to read, uh, begin reading in chapter four. We just, I told you, uh, just talked about this incredible picture of God pursuing his people through Hosea and Gomer. And then he begins to come in To these passages in chapter four, and Hosea says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. In other words, what Hosea is saying in this very first verse is, Listen, listen. It's almost like he's clapping his hands at us going, Hey, 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 listen, you need to hear this. This is really important. Give your ears to what the Lord is saying. And here's the thing. He's not just saying this to Israel, it is written to them, but this still cries out for us today as God's people to listen, to give our ear to the Lord, to hear what he has to say. He says this, he says, and this is really in verse, uh, the end of verse one, this is really the whole indictment. It's like Hosea is bringing them into a court of law and saying, this is what you are guilty of. He says, there is no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God in the land. These are the three things that he's, he's calling them out on. He saying, no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God in the land. And he's telling God's people, you need to return to these things. Uh, he, he's saying, look, if you were in this court of law, you would be guilty of this. And he's saying no faithfulness. There's no one who's living faithful with God. He's saying there's no love. There's no love not just for God, but for each other. He's saying this is becoming a, a really a destructive force amongst you. No love for God. No love for each other. He says there's no acknowledgment. Of God in the land and this doesn't just mean acknowledging that he is God there is this that word carries this objective and subjective meaning with it objectively not acknowledging him not knowing him he's saying look you don't know what he's like you don't know who he is you've lost sight of God and who he is what he does what he's like and then he says um but there's also this subjective aspect, and it means more than just mentally knowing who he is. And this, he says, you have no relationship. You have no relationship. Your relationship is dying. Your relationship with God is growing cold. Your love for God is growing cold. Your love for each other is growing cold. And I see this today, and hear this not as being angry, hear this as a plea come back, come back, come back to the Lord. Our love in so many ways for the Lord has grown cold. For many people who may hear this online, and I pray that many do, your love for God has grown cold. We see this, um, look, I talked about this last week. We see it in our churches right now. And understand this, being in community, attending worship services doesn't save you. But I do believe this, if we're not in community, then then here's what, what I do believe. I do believe that we're missing the mark. The Bible is very clear about that. Many of us may show up, but we're still not a part of the body. And I'll be honest with you, and this is going to sting some people a little bit, but for many people, the pandemic gave you an excuse to do what your heart already desired. Now, understand this. I get it, right? I get it. Like, it has been bad. It has been awful. And here's the thing. If you are at home and you are you are still in a place where you like health-wise, I can't do this, I can't do this, then hear me, I am not condemning you. I am not judging you. I'm not judging anybody in this. I'm encouraging you. But understand, if you are out at Walmart, Lowe's, the ball field, ball games, all of this stuff, but you say, I still can't come back to the community of God, that is an excuse. That is an excuse. If you're everywhere else, But in God's house, if you're everywhere else, but in community, then there's something going on here that I pray the Lord would speak to. I pray the Lord would encourage you to return and stand firm, to return and stand firm. You look at this and he says, here's the indictment. He said, these are the the, the root issues, but it shows itself in this that there's only... Cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery, they break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. He says, "Look, your beliefs are lack thereof in God. this lack of relationship that you have with God. it is ultimately causing these behaviors, because here is a truth: Belief determines behavior. And he's saying this lack of relationship with God is causing you to live out a life that is not honorable, that is not glorifying to God, and it is not good for you. He tells them in verse 3, because of this, because of the lack of faithfulness, love, and acknowledgement of God, because of what that's leading them to, he says the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beast of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. I want you to understand the consequences of sin always lead to destruction. We may be saved and all, this, yes, yes, yes. But honestly, sin still has consequences, not just on us, but those around us. If you go to Hosea 9, verse 16, Hosea compares Israel to this blighted tree. This root is withered and yields no fruit. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you people who were once fruitful for the Lord, who were once um, rooted deeply in God, he's saying, now you're blighted. Does that mean It's, it's this disease of sin is destroying you? He says, Look, now your root is withered. Why? Because you sunk them into things that are toxic, not the life giving God. He says, You're yielding no fruit for God because your roots run down into the wrong thing. Blighted, withered, no fruit. And then he goes on. Remember, it's like he's bringing us into this court of law. He says this. He says, but let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. He's saying this. He's saying, don't try to dodge this or dispute it. Don't try to dodge it or dispute it. And this is where it kind of starts really hitting you in the gut. Because when we begin to realize that we're not right in some way, our, 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 Natural tendency is to rationalize it, make excuses for it, instead of just accepting it, instead of just receiving it, instead of just letting it do what God's word is intended to do, to teach, rebuke, correct, and train, to bring us back to the Lord. Our tendency is to go, well, how dare you say that? But the honest truth is, you know, if the shoe fits, like outgrow it, right? Outgrow it. Don't settle for this. Turn and come back. Don't dodge it. We're all responsible, me included, for our sin. He's saying don't dispute this. It's like the day I got saved, this guy's preaching and he's hitting every sin that I'm doing. And I was getting angry. I was about to walk out and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, why don't you shut up and listen to him? And then in that moment, I realized all I have to do is turn around. I don't have to get mad. I don't have to pout. I don't have to blame other people. I don't have to point fingers. All I need to do is own my own issues and turn back to the Lord and he will receive me. Listen to verse 5 through 9, verses 5 through 9. He says, You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. At this point, he's really starting to hone in on the priest, he's honing in on the prophets. He says, So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people. So he's indicted the people. He says, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Now, he's really starting to put a lot of this responsibility on the priest. He says, like, people like priests. Like, people like priests. And here's the issue. The problem is, guys, look, just like in Hosea's day, there is this falling away that is happening. But where there's a falling away, a falling away, listen, understand there is also the potential for a great return. There's also the potential for a great revival. And this specific falling away and I believe in our case this is the same for us today. This specific issue comes down to the fact that the Word of God is not being proclaimed. It's not being talked about. They're not doing what God told uh, the Israelites to do with His words, to hold on to it, to meditate on it day and night, to to cling to it, that the priests and the prophets aren't declaring it. And it even says that the priests and the prophets are disgraceful because they relish in the sin of these people. They like the sin as much as the others. here's the truth of it. It's hard to to preach convicting messages if you're not living a convicted life. It's hard to preach a convicting message if your life isn't convicted, if you're not living these things out. It's hard for us to encourage other people to to pursue and follow the Lord if we're not doing it ourselves. And what Hosea is saying is he's saying, look, The issue for you is you've lost understanding. You no longer realize who God is. He says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge of knowing who God is and a lack of personal relationship with him. He's saying this is what's causing you to perish. I've noticed something with the younger generation, um, and this has to do with texting. How many of you are older, like me, and when you text, you use proper punctuation? I'm talking about not just periods, colons, semicolons, apostrophes. But then when I get texts from my sons, typically it is one sentence. There's no period. There's no question mark. There's not even a capital letter where the next thought starts. And so I'm trying to read it, and I'm like, this is like reading hieroglyphics. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out, right? I need a red marker to mark all of the punctuation issues. It's hard to read. It's hard to understand. And what's happening to these people is God's Word is hard to understand. God himself is hard to understand because they, the Word has been neglected. So has God. So has God. We need to understand, folks, that we are people of the word. It is the gospel that brings life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are people of the word. Without the word, we're left to everything around us. Everything around us begins to teach us who God is, who we are. All of these things. We are to be people of the word. He tells them the reason you're being destroyed is because you've lost understanding of who I am. You no longer know me as your covenant God. The God who came to you and established this relationship. Listen to verse 10. He says they will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish. Because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Think about this. Basically, what he's saying is he's saying, You Israelites, you have become like Gomer. You've prostituted yourselves to other gods, specifically in their case to this God Baal. Saying so you're sacrificing to him. You're, you're participating in these sex orgies, saying it's to Yahweh because you don't even know who Yahweh is. You're doing all of these sinful things, and you're thinking it honors. Him. That's how far their knowledge and understanding of who God is had had drifted. He said, you, you don't even realize this. He said, But you prostituted yourself, become adulterous to God and towards him. He said, You're like Gomer, an adulterous woman intended for the Lord, yet giving yourself. To everything else. Verse 11. Or just the end of 10. Because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Verse 11. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. Verse 12. My people consult a wooden idol. And a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. And what we see here, oh, is that they're looking other places for truth. They're looking other places for truth. They're being influenced by those people and things around them. They've quit looking to God's word. They've quit looking to God to be truth. And they've begun to accept the truth of those people around them. How dangerous is that for us today? I would say this. The church is under a time of persecution and attack right now. But understand, it's not people telling us we can't meet. It's not that. Not yet. What it is, is there is an intense pressure to conform to the patterns of the world. And we have to stand firm in the truth. Understand this. I'm not talking about standing on the street corner or getting in arguments with people. uh, Because one of the things I love that JC says all the time is uh, truth doesn't fear a challenge. When we talk about truth, it's not so that we can uh, stand on the truth and beat our chest and yell at people. When we talk about the truth, it's so we can stand firm in love and love people lovingly. Tell them the truth. Lovingly tell them about a God who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. If we think that, we might as well go ahead and go deep, right? If we think that yelling at people about masks and vaccines is going to change anything, then we are confused. Might as well keep going, right? If you're listening to pastors... We talk more about masks and vaccines and politics than they talk about Jesus, you need to start listening to somebody else. But they're looking other places for truth. There is a cultural wave right now that is attempting tempting to wash away all truth. Here's the challenge for the church. Do we know what the truth is? Do we just hang on to some cliche sayings? I hear people say this all the time. Things like what I started out with, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. Not there. You know where it's at? It's right next to this, all things in moderation. Not there. Is that what we know of Scripture It's just some cliches or a few verses? Or do we really know the truth of God? Are we spending time with the Lord in this intimate relationship with God to truly know who he is to truly have something to stand on in the gospel of Matthew Jesus tells this parable about a man who built his house on sand and he says look the, the wind and the rains came and it knocked it down with this great crash he said but there was another man who dug deep and he built his house on rock and he said the winds and the rains came but it stood and here's the thing I would encourage you with dig deep into God's word dig deep into your relationship with Jesus. Dig deep into listening to what God says and the truth that comes from his mouth. Dig deep so that you build your life on something that the winds and rain of life cannot knock down. We need the truth, guys. We need the truth. We look at this and we go, how could Israel begin to sacrifice to these other gods after God had done so much for them, delivering them from Egypt, defeating enemies, all of these things. It hadn't been that long ago that he had done a lot of these miraculous things for them. And then we look at this and we go, um, how could they come and they participate in these orgies and these different things, uh, thinking that they're doing this with Yahweh um, for him and it's honoring to God in some way. And we look at this and we say, how could they possibly do it? You know why and how they could possibly be so deceived? Everyone else around them was doing it. It's what they saw. It's what they heard. It's what they were told is right, acceptable. And they didn't know the word of God. They had nothing else to instruct them. And so they fell prey to this deception. They had nothing to guide them down a different path. And we look at this and we're like, isn't some of this this judgment, isn't it kind of harsh? Isn't it wrong? Listen, They left God no choice, as we're going to see in just a minute. These people were chosen and picked for a very specific purpose. And if they disappeared, if they rebelled against the Lord and it wasn't addressed, one, God is righteous and just, he addresses these things. But two, the Messiah was going to come from them. This was a people that God would do whatever he had to do to maintain their purity, to maintain their purpose. Look at verse 13. It's about to get really convicting, if it hasn't. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where the shade is present. Isn't it sad how many times we enjoy the blessing of God, but we never turn to thank him. They're enjoying the shade of these trees that God created, and yet the whole time they're prostituting themselves to a false God. He says, therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. He's saying, look, this is so bad that it's impacting your family. He's saying, your your very daughters are turning to this same prostitution. And yet, it was a physical prostitution, but it was existing because of the spiritual prostitution that Israel had engaged in. He says, it's impacting your family. And here's the thing we know. That when we are not walking in the ways of God, it impacts everyone around us. Listen to this. He says, I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. He says, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes, a people without understanding will come to ruin. He says, I'm not going to punish your daughters. I'm not going to punish your daughters-in-law. He said, because the ultimate responsibility comes back to the men leading them into this. Here's where it gets really convicting. Men, how are we leading our families? How are we leading our families? How are we leading our families? Listen, how are you leading your wife? How are you leading your children? God designed it for the man to be the leader of his home, the spiritual leader of his home. And see, even that today gets pushed on so hard. But understand this, God did not design the man to domineer his home. He designed the man to sacrificially serve those in his home and to lead them in the ways of God. He says your families are affected because you're not pursuing the Lord. Your families are affected because you neglected the word of God. That speaks to me, right? There are areas in my own life I need to step up. There are areas in my own life that through the grace of God, I'm going to step up. And the truth of the matter is, guys, the grace of God can work in you so that you step up. How are you leading your family? How are we stewarding the wife and the children that God gave us? I'll speak to this. Maybe you're just in a relationship. How are you leading that person in that relationship. Guys, how are you leading? What's the foundation? If that relationship moves forward, what's the foundation that that relationship is going to be built on? Then in verse 16, look at this. It says, the Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Understand, we see God's heart in this. God's heart is that I want to be like a shepherd to them. I want to lead them into green pasture. I want it to be a good relationship with them. He says, but they're stubborn like heifers. And here's the thing that I know is that this is going to fall on a lot of deaf ears because a lot of hearts are hardened. But my plea is this. Listen to what the Lord says. Repent of the stubbornness, the waywardness, and turn back to the Lord. So many of us have have gone astray. We're we're, we're like that lamb that Jesus went after. Don't you know, and can't you see from Hosea, especially the the, the example of of Homer and, and Gomer, that God is still pursuing you, that God is a God who will leave the 99 to come after the one? Would you turn back to him? Would you see this and return? In verse 17, it says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. In other words, God's saying, I want a shepherd like their lambs. But here's the problem. They're dedicated to idols. I have no choice but to let them go in their hardness of heart. And in verse 18, he says, Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. He says, Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away, and their sacrifices will bring them shame. He's literally saying, Look, this isn't a matter of they get drunk and they commit these things. He's like, Even when there's no wine. They're doing these things. And he says it's because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Their heart is leading them astray. And yet God is calling them to return. I want to show you um, some pictures in just a second. I want to describe what you're going to see first. Um, so as a lot of you know that I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to highlighting or underlining my Bible, right? So I've got this whole color scheme that I use. And one of the things I do is if it's underlined in pink, it's a sin that God is calling out, right? It's something that we're doing that's sinful or they were doing that's sinful, whatever. If it's a dotted pink line, I'm telling you, this is intricate. Um, If it's a dotted pink line, it's like a warning or who we were before Christ. It's like God calling us out of what we are doing Um, and so what I want to do is I'm going to put up I think it's just chapters 5, 6, 7 and 8 of my Bible um, because I want you to see uh, Well, let's just look at it can we get that put up first chapter 5 I saw a flash of it can y'all see that good enough can y'all see what color is predominantly on that anybody pink what about chapter 6 pink Chapter seven, pink. Chapter eight, pink. And I just did four chapters. Uh, and You can go through most of these chapters and, and it's, it's, it's almost all underlined in pink. It's either sin or it's a warning of sin, of what's going to happen because of sin or a calling out to get away from sin. Now, in my grand scheme of uh, color, i also uh underline god's promises in purple if it's a promise of god i'll underline it in purple if it's something that god did for us i'll underline it in blue i'm telling you i'm a nerd but i want you to see just a couple of places that are in this where we see this um can we put up the those last two pictures the first one all right i'm confused It's hard to see this, guys. (laughs) It's hard to see this, guys. But um, maybe you can tell. Most of that section is purple. It's God's promises. How about the next one? There it is. Look at the bottom. Now, now the, the orange is a call to obedience. But the purple is the promise of what will happen when we are obedient. And we see these promises. And I want you to understand what Hosea is saying in this passage. It is a call to repentance. It is him saying, turn back to the Lord. Have a change of mind about who, where you're going. Have a change of mind about who God is. Recognize the truth about God. Remember how far you have fallen and come back to the Lord. And when we look at this, this book is full of sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, but how remarkable that in the midst of all of this sin, we still see the grace of God in these promises of restoration. We still see in the midst of all our destructive ways, in the midst of all our turning from God, in the midst of living our own lives as Gomer, that God says, I'm still like Hosea and I'm still coming after you. Because God's love is relentless. He made me think all week about the prodigal son. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Luke 15 where it talks about the prodigal. This son has literally run away from his father. He has squandered all the wealth of his inheritance that he asked for earlier it tells us in there that this Jewish boy was longing to eat the pods that they were feeding the pigs. And we know Jewish people didn't even really, they didn't even touch pigs, but now he's working in the pig pen and even wanting to eat the food of the pigs. And he had gotten to this really low place. And yet one day it, the Bible says, this, and this is one of my favorite phrases. It says, when he came to his senses, When he came to his senses. See, repentance literally is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Leads to a change of pursuits. And it says when he came to his senses, he said, doesn't my father, doesn't my father even treat these servants of his better than me? I'll know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll ask my father, would you? Receive me back just as a servant. I'm no longer worthy of being a son. But the Bible says that when they were a long way off. Where he was a long way off. The father saw him. Ran to him. Kissed him. And he gives him sandals. A ring. All of these things that signify his full restoration. Back to the father. As a son. Not as a servant. And my plea with you and my plea with whoever listens to this online whoever might watch this this week who might stumble across it in a couple of weeks listen to me my plea with you is to come home my plea with you is to return and stand firm i believe that this series on the minor prophets is really timely And I do believe that God lovingly is calling us to return. I hope that this morning that the truth of this would penetrate your heart. And I hope for those who hear that rather than hardening your heart, the word of God would soften it and that you would return. I pray that I and that you would be like I was on that day of my salvation where I realized all I had to do is turn around and God would receive me. I pray for you that that would be the case. That we would not hear this as unloving, but that we would see the great love of God for us and it would stir our affections for him and for each other. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts? Lord, would you call those who are wandering. Would you put your hand on them and bring them home? Lord, would you give us hearts through your grace to go after those who are far from you, who've wandered, who are in that far away land, squandering their life, their purpose, void of relationship with you and your people. Would you give us hearts, Lord, to emulate Jesus and go after them Thank you for an opportunity that we have this morning to turn, to have a change of mind, to recommit ourselves to you, Lord, in this relationship, to reestablish, Lord, that connection with you. I pray, Lord, that you move in our hearts in a mighty, mighty way. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come and pray here. If you want prayer for something, I'm just going to ask our prayer folks if they would just come and stand up here. I'm going to dismiss you guys, but for those who would like to pray, maybe today you realize I've wondered, and you'd like to pray or be prayed for, I want to invite you to come to put action to what the Lord's speaking to you. Have a change of mind and turn back to the Lord. Father, would you move in hearts now? In Jesus' name, amen.